Welcome to the Core Principles Podcast. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you'll enjoy this lively discussion of relevant topics, which we attempt to examine through the lens of unchanging objective truth. Here's the host of the Core Principles Podcast, Clay Howerton. Thank you, Suzanne. Well, I'm honored to welcome to the Core Principles Podcast the founder and president of the Center for Urban Renewal and Education, Star Parker. Star, thank you so much for talking with me today. How are you doing in our nation's capital? Well, we're surviving after a week of domestic terrorism. The president finally had to go across the street, if you will, walk through Lafayette Park over to the church and hold up a Bible and say this nation is a nation of a rule of law. And that kind of quieted things down. But they come back. They're attempting to get some of the national monuments. So he has now guards and park police out at most of our national sites. They were pretty bold about that. I heard some of them say, on this date, at this time, we are taking this statue down. And of course, they were stopped. Well, they were stopped from taking down the national monuments and memorials. And the president actually stood alone to do that. Most of the Republicans were hiding and the Democrats are in support of all of this terror. We at CURE are actually fighting back. In fact, on Tuesday, we'll be at the uh, emancipation statue and memorial to honor that particular one and make sure that it stays right where it is. Why do you suppose that one particularly is being targeted? There are people that pretend that the country is inherently evil and that slavery started in 1619, that the Revolutionary War is about slavery, and they just have this new narration of what was represented during that time. So the Lincoln honor that former slaves built where Archer Alexander is an emancipated slave getting prepared to stand up is an offense to them because it's so symbolic of what this country is about. In particular, during that civil war, when we had a rebirth as a nation, there are many in our country now that do not like our foundation, our principles of Christianity and capitalism and a constitution. So they're warring against them and they're trying to destabilize society and uproot Christianity and capitalism and our constitution. So, uh, yeah, it has deep meaning that they cannot allow to stand uh, if they are really going to transform the country uh, in their own words with, you know, quotes, transform. That's what they want. They really believe that the country's evil, so it needs to be remade and reshaped in the image of Mao and Marx and Stalin. And the list is very, very long for the examples of what happens when you move to a communistic totalitarian regime. I really want to get into some specifics about those thoughts that you outlined there and with the the leftist ideologues that they're propping up there, Mao and Stalin and Marx. Just in case uh, some of the listeners of the podcast are not familiar with your story, I wanted to also introduce you to them. I was so inspired by your story, Star Parker, and I watched the video that was produced by the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. Oh, my testimony. Yes, ma'am. And I just want to say, I'm really so thankful you are my sister in Christ. Well, thank you. Well, that's just that we're attempting to put the truth together that this this nation is good and that we are sisters and brothers in Christ and that there are many of us are African-American that don't put our color in front of Christ. And in me in particular, I think and why I'm so impassioned in this movement is because I already lived the lie of the left. I spent years in the lies of the left from uh, their lie that my problems were someone else's fault or my lie that America's so racist I shouldn't mainstream or my lie that I was poor because others were wealthy. 
and buying in all those lies that we still hear today, I just got recklessly out of control, not really thinking that there was anything here for me, total lawless living that landed me in criminal activity and drug activity and sexual activity in and out of their so-called safe, legal, rare abortion clinic after clinics. And then finally, I had a gut instinct way down deep inside when I was pregnant again, uh, that maybe there was something wrong with killing my offspring. So I didn't kill that child. I had that child and ended up on welfare. And so I watched my life now spiral in this little dark hole year in and year out until finally someone introduced me to the gospel. They told me that God was in Christ, that he was reconciling the world to himself. He didn't count my sin against me, that he loved me and that he died for me. And I thought, wow, this is really incredible news. And that he would save me. And so I accepted those truths. I incorporated them into my daily decision making. And my life started turning around and turning around for the good to the point where I was able to finish college, get a degree in marketing, international business. I started a business. Then the 1992 Los Angeles riots destroyed my business. But by then, I was already more familiar with some of the changes in our culture. I'd been articulating those changes in our culture. And so now, I'm at a place where I believe I was being called to do something about the problems instead of just talk about the problems. And so I started on a journey toward what I do today is run a policy institute here in Washington, D.C., where we promote market-based solutions to fight poverty. We fight poverty uh, through messages of faith and freedom and personal responsibility. We believe that charity belongs to the church, not to the government. So we want the government out of the charity business, that the answer to poverty is freedom, and it is personal responsibility. That is not a welfare state. So that's our work here, ending abortion, every opportunity we get, making sure that we get all of these anti-poverty programs back to the states where local people can start engaging again in how we're going to really help people that can't help themselves. And then of course, we want to personalize social security so everyone will have a stake in their future. So those are some of the things that I'm working on, but you're absolutely right. My life's journey started at that moment that I was born again. And I think that's why I'm so impassioned now against the rewriting of our nation's history because we were born again, but with the same goal, the same principles that founded this nation. I know early in your Christian walk, you were confronted by a pastor about <laughs> welfare. You mentioned that that you had been keen that welfare was a fine thing and could be helpful, and, and a pastor confronted you about that, and you reflected on a passage in Scripture that talked about the nature of God as being our provider. Right. How can impoverished people have this confidence in this reality of that principle that God truly is provider? Well, the only way that they're going to get that reality that God is truly the provider is by faith, because the scripture is clear that it, faith is the substance of the things we're hoping for. It's the evidence of the things that we can't see. So if you want in your life a problem solved, then you have to have faith that it can be solved. And you have to believe that it can be solved. And you have to believe that you're not alone in getting it solved. And so once you embrace the faith in God, that he will never leave you or forsake you, then it's a little more easy to walk down that path. It's not perfect and it's not um, without challenges, but it's easier to always have somewhere to depend. What I learned very early in my Christian walk after being introduced to the Lord, and then as you're saying, being confronted through a message that a pastor gave that the government was not my source, that God was my source, and that God would supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus, I had to accept that. I had to, by faith, say God will provide all of my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And he's rich. Come on, he's God. And so I had to accept that. But early in that Christian walk, I also learned how to read a proverb a day. 
Before we get back to the talk about uh, some of these leftist ideologies, I wanted to make note of the fact that there in Washington, D.C., with your Center for Urban Renewal and Education, you're also involved with other influential people. One of my senators here in uh, Kentucky is Mitch McConnell, and he appointed you to the uh, Frederick Douglass Bicentennial Celebration a couple of years back. Frederick Douglass, I would assume, should be an inspiration to everyone. But ironically, and I think tragically, his statue was just toppled by rioters. What do you suppose Mr. Douglass would tell our generation to encourage us on a better path? I think what what Frederick Douglass left for all of us is the ability to think that freedom is the control of your time. One of the major differences between slavery and freedom is time. You control it. Who owns your time? And we own our time. And so we have time to think. We have time to read. We have time to gather insight and information. And that's why he was able to become such an influential spokesperson and intellectual. So I think that he would encourage us to finish school. When you think about the steps out of poverty, just finish school. Take any job. Just work harder than the person above you. Get married. Save and invest and then give back to your community. So you're right. It is tragic that war that's going on now to topple statues where the recklessness is now toppling great heroes. But I really have to admire the president that he's spoken into it and said, we'll gather them up and put them in one national park. And in fact, here is attempted to lead the charge to say, let's make that national park Lincoln Park right here in Washington, D.C., turn its name to Unity Park and puts all of the statues there, because that's where the emancipation statue is right now that they really want to get. And it looks like Democrats are going to try a congressional action to take away the statue of Archer Alexander. People say he's kneeling at the feet of Lincoln, and this is offensive. Frankly, the slaves after emancipation wanted to honor Lincoln, so they pooled their little monies together to build an honor for him. The slave that was chosen to be the models named Archer Alexander was not kneeling. He was standing up. He was getting up. He had just gotten emancipated. He was just caught under the Fugitive Slave Act. Emancipation happened. It freed him. So he was standing up. The same way a racer comes out of the blocks to do the 50. We need to rewrite our own history here. So you're absolutely right. Frederick Douglass would speak into this hour as he did over his life. Uh, And what he would say, I think, is just let's start thinking. Let's start using that brain capacity that we do have as unique individuals. We're not slaves. So therefore, we don't have to think as collectivists. We can think individually and uniquely as God has made us. That is so wise. I hope people will own what you just uh, instructed them right there. You also uh, do work with the executive branch as well. And I know that uh, you've been part of this White House Opportunity Initiative advisory team. So you seek through your own organization and in working with others, solutions to big, big problems. So now we can start talking about some of those things that we can do (laughs) to heal this fractured nation. First of all, I want to refer back to Leader McConnell and the honor that he gave me to be on the Bicentennial Frederick Douglass Commission. One of the things that I was able to help accomplish as a result of that appointment was in the great state of Kentucky. In Kentucky is Fort Nelson, which is one of the first places where African-Americans who at that time uh, were not emancipated. Remember, when emancipation happened, only states that seceded from the Union were had the ability to free their slaves. So slaves that were in states that didn't secede from the Union were still slaves. So in, at Fort Nelson, the Union Army said, if you don't want to be a slave, you come join our army, I'll free you. Thousands showed up there. And so it's the only place in the country where we have a mixture of black and white 
of soldiers buried in the same cemetery. It's where the Buffalo Soldiers started. I mean, the history there is rich. And what they wanted when I went to visit is they wanted to become a national memorial rather than just be individual to Kentucky. And so I brought that back here and Mitch McConnell put it in the land bill. So it's actually now a federal uh, monument there. To your question about the Opportunity Zone initiative that, of course, COVID has stalled out a little bit. But what it basically was is that the uh, tax bill that the president signed into law had a provision that was offered by Senator Tim Scott in it that said that if money wants to go into our hard-hit zip codes, it can go there and not have a capital gain on it. So money's fungible. When money heard that, hey, if we go over there in that zip code, you're not going to capital gain tax us. Money started going into those zip codes, which started to revitalize these communities. Uh, it was working extremely effectively until, of course, COVID. But as we resettle back into that initiative, it is a good one. It's a sound one. It's something that the president has done that is really helping our most distressed zip codes across the country. Not just as money now being able to flow through there, but he's also really aggressive when it comes to making sure that all children have opportunity to get a quality education by allowing money to follow children to schools parents want. So his Department of Education is moving very, very rapidly on making sure that money follows children to schools parents want. They want educational choice, parental choice, school choice. In addition to that, he's looking for other ways that he can energize our most distressed zip codes by allowing for more flexibility away from all the excessive regulation and taxation that goes on in our hardest hit communities. I appreciate that you're very much focused on getting things done and, and things don't just happen because we wish that they would. And so when you put action to those principles, it's very powerful. You've written several books and, and one of them uh, called Uncle Sam's Plantation, not, a, not at all a provocative title. You contrast uh, <laughs> capitalism and socialism. And, and you made the case that although the United States is ostensibly capitalist, that we seem to implement socialist policies for the poor. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm asking you at this point, Star, why doesn't socialism work? Well, Margaret Thatcher, I think, said it best, because sooner or later you run out of other people's money. But when you think about let, just two things, one, the scripture, you have God against you, because the 10th commandment says don't covet. And socialism is rooted in covetous. Somebody has something somebody else doesn't have. So we go out and hire politicians to take it from them. It's theft. Redistribution doesn't work. You will never take enough from somebody else to supply whatever it is that you think you need. You have talent, whether it's one talent, two talent, five talent, you have talent. Each, every individual is responsible for their lives to better themselves and the community around them. But number two, when you think about the investments, let's just look at what has happened as a result of the welfare state, the great society, the war on poverty. $22 trillion later, the poverty rate hasn't changed at all. But guess what did change? When you have rules of welfare, I lived under them, so I know them well, don't work. Don't save, don't get married, and we'll keep you enslaved to a poverty plantation. So what did happen? What happened is we collapsed marriage and family life. When you think about the 60s, in the 60s, when we started this social experiment to tell people you don't have to work, you don't have to save, you don't have to get married, over time, people started adopting those patterns. So marriage rates started dramatically falling apart, and children's growth inside of Oh, single-headed households escalated. Some example. In the 60s, when you think about 
Black life. 72% of Black children were born in a house where the husband was married to the mother of the children. Today, it's the exact opposite. 72% of Black children are born in households that are single-headed. In the white community, when in the 60s, we were looking at 3% of out-of-marriage birth rates. Today, it's 30% out-of-marriage birth rates. So now what's happened is in the majority community, we're seeing the same pathologies that we thought were only confined to our most poor and distressed zip codes. We're starting to see the low educational aspirations, the high crime rates, the drug rates, the out-of-marriage birth rates, all of the pathologies that come when you don't have a household rooted in the scripture. Husbands are married to the mother, the children. Uh, that has been destroyed. And it's unfortunate because, you know, bringing up the scripture, a lot of people want to say, oh, well, that's just like the religious stuff. But religion works. You want to talk about scientific evidence? This faith is the substance of this evidence that you're looking for. So when you think about what happens in scripture when it comes to how a household should run, the Bible says the father. The glory of children is the father. The father is the significant person in that household. Mom, yes, she's wonderful. But the father, the glory of children is the father. You look up glory and you're going to find that this is really meaningful. Whether it's a girl or a boy, without their dad, there's no one to help channel that energy that they have growing up trying to find out what kind of adult they're going to be. So little girls are going to look for love in all the wrong places. And little boys who don't have a dad to help channel that energy towards sports or studies is going to find their energy in the street. And that's one of the reasons that now we're looking at 70% of the boys that are in our criminal justice system come from single-headed households. And 95% of the men in our prison system have no relationship with their dad. So this is what has happened as a result of the so-called war on poverty. It's not just about the money. It's about human capacity and a waste here because people have not been able to find their potential because we destroyed their family life. When you talk about the disruption of the family, it occurs to me that this newsworthy organization that's been in the headlines lately, that their name is based on a fundamental truth that is so wonderful, Black Lives Matter, is absolutely a true principle, but the organization is not about that. And they explicitly say on their own website that part of their mission is to disrupt that nuclear family structure. And they very uh, vocally embrace this Marxism, which is closely aligned with socialism and which is aggressively opposed to capitalism. So while I appreciate their clever marketing using an unassailable truth as the name, uh, how do we who love liberty successfully counter that message of state-controlled resource and government dependence? We call them out for the lie it is. that What this Black Lives Matters movement is bringing to the table is that we have a systemic racist problem in our society that needs to be rooted out. It's a lie. This is not about race. This is about power. They were looking for any incident to gravitate towards so that they can do their plan B to wreak havoc. They had already set themselves up. They're internationally connected, and they have a deeply rooted agenda, 
as you're saying, in disruption of traditions, the traditions of Christianity, traditions of capitalism, and of our Constitution. It is evident through their website and through everything they represent. It is an absolute lie. And for them to single out one people group, Black Lives Matter. If Black Lives Matter, then Black people should embrace the lives in front of them, that the life themselves that they've been given, including the life in the womb that they have been blessed to perhaps bring a miracle of awe into the world. We need to embrace some fundamental truths about our own individual lives instead of attempting to do this collective movement of emotion and force people to do things that are really inconsistent with not just scripture, but inconsistent with the founding of our country. So what we do is we keep fighting back and you fight back with the truth, but we also battle in the voting booth. We make sure that these folks never have power, nor do their leaders have power. And we take away the little bit of power that they have. So that means running people against those that are in Congress so that they can get the Congress back in the control of the Republicans, but also running people of goodwill in these various city areas and on the city councils. It starts over is what has to happen for those that love God and are part of his anointed. You also had a a book uh, that came out last year called Necessary Noise, and part of it sort of terrified me. I was reviewing it for this interview, and you were a prophetess, Star Parker, because you said, I'm going to quote from your book, part of the genius of the United States is that power is dispersed to state and local governments rather than being held tightly in Washington, D.C., and policing is one area where federalism is the most important. Unquote. And then you went on with terrifying accuracy to highlight problems that would be caused by the fact that the Obama administration worked with George Soros and others with the goal of sowing discord against the police. And now there's a war on police happening and the elected officials are joining with the anti-police. And now we're surprised that murder rates have gone up like crazy in the big cities. What do we do about that, Star? I think we leave it up to the mayors and the city leadership in those areas to decide what they're going to do. If they want a an area of havoc and all the wealth leaves and all the people, I mean, come on, money's fungible. People are going to move around and now that's why some of them are backtracking on allowing for these lawless zones to continue. Police are the last stop. Police unions and local contracts need to be revisited in these areas. But this is something that's not in the president's wheelhouse. This is something that local governments need to do with their local police officers. It's fascinating to find that in the rules that they've negotiated in some of these cities, the officer can't even live in the very community that he serves. The police are the last stop. The first stop is the patriot, the father in the home. But if he's missing, then the next stop is the pastor. And this war against church and pastor needs to stop because the pastor is the one that's going to help the person who doesn't have a dad bring that uniqueness up out of themselves so that they can know how to live good, how to choose right. Then the next stop, if the pastor's not there, is the principal. But our schools have been taken over. They're just nothing but government-funded, union-controlled cesspools, what we call schools. What we need is money to move from there, children to move from there. Let's keep them at home now, since homeschooling this seems to be involved because of COVID, or let's make sure that our Christian schools have everything that they need, as now we have the Espinosa decision, that money can go anywhere. We should have this whole campaign in the Christian community to say, bring your child here, let us help you, uh, because the principal's the next one. Then the politician. 
The politician has moved into the place of the father and the pastor and even the principal. They control them as well. So the politician just pretends that everybody's problems in these sick communities are somebody else's fault. And there's some magical thing that can happen in Washington to change this reality. They can't. So once you get past the politician, you got the police. Because we are going to have a rule of law. And like the president said at that church, that we are a nation of the rule of law. And the rule of law is rooted in truth. And truth is rooted in God. So it doesn't matter what the left doesn't like. It is a fact that truth is rooted in God. Amen to that. I, I think listening to that answer, uh, it occurs to me that the, the time to strike that iron for school choice is right now. Because, oh, yeah. oh, oh yes. Yeah. Well, the last thing that I wanted to ask you about, Star Parker, and I, I thank you so much for talking with me today, uh, something that's critically lacking in our society right now, and you, you mentioned it earlier, is unity. We are one people. We are all of one lineage. So this principle that we are all equal as children of God seems now to be actively rejected by so many people. What do we do to restore unity? Well, we might have to enter into the time. And, you know, as King Solomon told us, there is a time of peace and there's a time of war. When you start thinking about the tensions, as I also mentioned, the unnecessary noise that took place right before the Civil War, we couldn't go on that way anymore. And we can't right now. We are living in that same moment they lived in to where Abraham Lincoln had to say, we we can't live half free and half slave. We're going to have to make a decision. We can no longer be both. And that's where we are in our country. We, we're going to be biblical and free or we're going to be secular and statist. Those are the choices. And it's getting very loud because the left has decided they want to war out loud inside of their personal space and bring it to the public square. So it's going to get very loud. So the encouragement you're looking for, you can find a couple of places. Where I find it is in the judges. I find it in, in Deborah to where they, she had to get up, go do, and then the land rested 40 years. Or in the land of Gideon, when it was Gideon's turn, people say, why doesn't somebody do something? Well, when they had 30,000 people out there, God said, that is too many people. Tell the fearful to go home. And when he told the fearful to go home, 20,000 people went home. So that's fine. He ended up with 300 people. And guess what? After they did their thing, the land rested 40 years. So we're in that time and season of war. My prayer is that the war will take place in November in the voting booth. But I'm not sure with these domestic terrorists running around and they're still looking for opportunity to be disruptors. And I'm not I will not be surprised if they've already picked the date and time that they're going to try to make havoc again in our country. I pray that the voting will be where we make this decision. But make no mistake, the decision will be made. We cannot be both in the public square. We're going to be one or the other. I join you in that prayer, Star Parker, and I thank you again so much for joining me today on the You're Core welcome. Principles podcast. I hope that everyone will check out uh, urbancure.org. This is Star's organization, the Center for Urban Renewal and Education. And as you can hear, she is all about getting the work done to make things better. So thank you so much, Star Parker. Now it's time for our special historical segment featuring a practical example of how core principles are applied. On the 14th of July... 1943, the George Washington Carver National Monument was dedicated in Joplin, Missouri. This was the first national monument specifically made to honor an African American. Indeed, George Washington Carver had been born into slavery on the 12th of July, 1864. Mr. Carver was a genius, and he had strong faith in Almighty God. That winning combination of attributes led him to become one of the preeminent scientists of the 20th century. 
he sought new ways for former slaves to succeed in agriculture and focused much of his research on the peanut. Do not be deceived into thinking that such a pursuit could ever be trivial just because the peanut seems unremarkable. George Washington Carver researched and documented about 300 uses for peanuts, and in doing this, he enriched the lives of many. On his gravestone is written, He could have added fortune to fame, but caring for neither, he found happiness and honor in being helpful to the world. May we also strive to apply the principles that guided George Washington Carver. Who knows what benefits we could bring to others. Core Principles Podcast is produced in Paducah, Kentucky by Real Productions. Music is by Late July, L-E-I-G-H-T July. You can find our music on all streaming services or at latejuly.com. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of the Core Principles Podcast. Please visit core.buzzsprout.com for more information. And please share with your friends. We look forward to visiting with you again on our next episode.